trigger warning, trigger warning. This is a reminder, you have got a trigger. <laughs> Do you know what your trigger is? It's that soft spot, that bruise that makes you see red when it gets pushed. And I don't know what your trigger is. Only you know that. This podcast strives to have thoughtful adult conversation about human issues. But I'm not a professional, and I would describe lots of the topics here as things that would trigger someone. So if you find yourself being triggered by any of the issues that we talk about here, I'm asking you now to please take that opportunity to simply find something else to listen to. Also, this is not professional advice, ever, <laughs> even when we talk to professionals. This is only casual conversation that is meant to promote for mindfulness and examine our own egos. Thanks. Hey, Matt LeBlanc here. One of my wife's best friends is Dan. He's actually her ex-fiance's brother. That might sound strange, but I guess you just gotta know Dan. He's become a good friend of mine, too. I've wanted to talk to him on this podcast for a long time. Not because he makes crazy choices or loves to tell wild personal stories, but kind of the opposite. He's a sincere guy with a simple routine and a definite moral compass. He likes his condo to smell nice, he plays video games, almost always by himself, and he says that his last meal would be a cheese pizza from Costco. I know that sounds crazy, but I have really grilled him on this particular detail. He loves the cheese pizza from Costco. He's a sweet guy and definitely super smart, but it's hard to tell what exactly drives him. I appreciate how honestly Dan came into this conversation and what we uncovered was unexpected and made me realize something important about my own necessary delusion. So here is my conversation with Dan. I don't, I don't know what it would be. Can you think of a time when you were young when you were like really excited about something or something you got really fixated on or passionate about? Hmm. Like growing up or recently? Try to think of growing up. Something I was particularly interested about. Honestly, it's kind of it's kind of weird to say it, but I can't think of anything. There's a lot of things that I picked up along the way, but the reasoning behind it wasn't my interest in them. So, I used to play volleyball in high school. But I did that in order to not take, there's a requirement to take like a third language. And so I, I took on volleyball to not have that other requirement. So it was more like trying to lighten the load rather than really taking an interest in it. Um, in college also, I kind of studied what I was good at and what was easiest. Um, also no particular interest there. A trip? A dance, a sleepover, a TV show? I mean, yeah, I have. Um, hmm. It's kind of interesting to think about because I really don't think I had any specific interest as a, like, a kid. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and for years, like 15 years, I have gone by the stage name, the fake name, Matt Aiden, A-I-D-A-N. 
It is completely made up. It is not my middle name. It's not even a family name. And if I'm being honest, it has always made me feel like a poser. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. I wonder how that exchange in the opening struck you. Dan couldn't think of one interest that he had as a kid. And you heard him, he was thinking hard. Personally, that's fascinating to me. Not one passion, not one dirty little fixation, not one guilty pleasure in all of life, in the whole world. You may be thinking, well, maybe he was embarrassed. And that could be true. I believe he was being sincere. So then what is this episode gonna be about? What are you left with when you cannot find one kernel of a desire to start with? And that is what I believe is so special about Dan's story. I'm trying to really think now that we're talking about it, if I had any hobbies, if I had anything in particular that I cared about, um, I can't say that I, that I did. I think to this day, I don't have too many interests. And I feel like, as much as I can recall, I don't think I had a lot of interest as a kid either. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you were an adult? Or was there an expectation from maybe your parents or someone of what you might do when you were an adult? When I was younger, growing up in Israel, I did want to make sure that I was getting good grades. Back then it was a six-day school week, not a five-day. Good grades are really the first specific he's given. That makes sense. It was a lot of work. So then what did his family do to unwind? You know, we really didn't really unwind because my mom was like a single mom. She was working all the time. And she would come back home, you know, do grocery shopping and, and cook food for the next day. So like at a parental level, there wasn't any unwinding. And so I think that translated to also like my brother and I. We were a year apart. He's older. And now I want to say we're closer than when we were kids. I, I think it was the same mindset with him as it was with my mom. We're all kind of just doing our own thing and focusing on what we needed to do. And your your dad was sort of around, but not around. Not, yeah, not really that much around. Like he lived closer by, but my parents at that time, they had been divorced for over a decade. And so it was, we'd probably see him once every couple of weeks. I don't think I recognized how much work my mom was doing. Mm-hmm. I think it was more of kind of like, keep your head down, just do whatever you need to do. I wasn't the best kid. I remember like my mom would need help with a lot of things and I just wouldn't help. Like if you think about it, right? You have your single mom, you know, she worked the entire day. Then she goes grocery shopping. We didn't have a car. She would have to carry the bags home. And you know, she would ask me for help. I was, you know, maybe my early teens. And I remember a lot of the times I would not go and help her. So I don't think I really recognized the extent of her investment and how much work she was putting in. I think we're all kind of like, independently doing our our own thing all working hard but in 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 different realms it's kind of hard for me to really remember what my goals were i've been there working hard keeping my head down and then oh yeah what are we working towards again not clear i didn't know what i wanted to do but there's definitely an expectation it wasn't defined but it was you need to do something with your life delusion that sounds like part of the story Pay attention to the language. Do something with your life. We should look up a definition for something. (laughs) Okay, this is perfect. Something, pronoun, a thing that is unspecified or unknown. In In the sense that like, you need to be accomplished either in academia or be a doctor or have one of those like professions that are considered highly regarded. The word I'm hearing is expectation. Already you can tell the delusion was broad and vague. 
Just do something with your life. That's what everyone expects. And from the sounds of it, this idea started for Dan when he was a very small child. I want to say like first grade, I did like the exam and I performed very well. And so then my mom had the expectation of, okay, well, my kid has a lot of potential. And I think that's where it started. That's where like the expectation really took its, its first steps. He scored very well on one proficiency test one time when he was in first grade. And they decided, this kid is smart, very smart. I grew up in a home where it was important to focus on studies. And so all I did really was kind of go to school, come back home early afternoon, do your homework for a couple of hours. And then that's pretty much the focus of, I want to say my entire life. That was the focus of his entire life. That was the story that was being told. Can you feel the delusion coming into focus? Dan has enormous academic potential and therefore is expected to do something with his life. But how it kind of like trickled down to me was, you need to study, you need to study hard, you need to only get A's. That was the level that, that got to me when I was younger. And how important was that to you to get A's then? Oh, it was very disproportionately important. Disproportionately important. That's a big statement. That's specific language. Disproportionately is the word he chose. Disproportionately means to an extent that is too large or too small in comparison to something else. In Dan's case, larger than everything else. His need to earn A's was the single most important thing in his life growing up. And therefore, delusion. we dug for it and we found it. Delusion identified. So what did it mean for him to get all A's? I really don't think that I had a good image of what I wanted to be, but I did know that I wanted to be financially independent. Growing up, we were really penny pinching, and I knew that that was something that I didn't want to do for the remainder of my life. The path to get there was somewhat unclear, but the feedback that I got from my family back then, it was just study hard and then you'll be okay. I think it was more like I need to do what people expect me to do. And it was expected that Dan go to school six days a week and study on the seventh that he work harder than his classmates because he had this potential. And if he didn't live up to it, that was his fault. And so really the day off, which would be Saturday, it would just be catching up on homework, studying for whatever exams I needed to study, maybe seeing some friends in the evening when I had time. But I want to say through maybe junior year of high school, it was just mainly that, just that cycle of studying. And we would get a bunch of homework to do over summer break. We wouldn't really get any break during like the winter months. It was just full, just studying all the time. What was summer like? I went to a pretty good high school. And so we would get a lot of stuff to do over the summer. If it's like a reading list, we would get a, a bunch of like summer homework across the board for, for pretty much every subject. But in terms of just our normal routine, it was just a never ending kind of cycle. And you don't really you don't really think about it when you're in it, right? Especially when you're young, you don't know anything else, you don't know any better, and so you just think that's life. It sounds like he was certainly feeling the stakes of his delusion. So what kind of repercussions motivate a kid to study this hard? What happened if he didn't bring home A's? I think it was enforced in maybe like a, a very positive way where, you know, we would go to like parent-teacher conferences and all the teachers were happy and then that made my mom happy and if my mom was happy then I was happy. So it was enforced in that way. I don't really think there was any kind of like, you better get an A in every test. Uh, it was more like just trying to make sure everyone's still happy with, with my performance mm -hmm. for whatever reason that now I'm thinking about and I'm not sure what it was. Not sure what it was. 
except it was disproportionately important to everything else in his life growing up. He would wake up early and go to bed late if he needed to. He would push himself to do the work, to meet the expectation of his potential, whatever that meant. And really, it was just that's just how we lived for a very long time. It's funny because if you think about it, the only thing I would get out of it would be making my mom happy. But I don't think she would have been very sad had I had other priorities. There's no repercussions at home. And to be honest, my mom didn't give, you know, two shits about it. I think I might have been maybe projecting or understanding the expectation maybe a little bit different than what it really was. So there were no concrete repercussions. His mom was busy with her own work and didn't actually care that much if he kept high grades. Well, it also sounds like you weren't that focused on making your mom happy. <laughs> That's also true, yeah. Because it sounds like you weren't even helping with groceries and stuff like that. Like, you didn't really care if she was, like, thrilled with you, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah. So then what was the motivation? His mom didn't care about the grades. Not like Dan did. No one cared like Dan did. Really, I think it was more like maybe kind of proving myself and proving that hey, you know, the expectation is that I get A's and therefore I'm going to impose that on myself and make sure that I rise up to the expectation. Oh, Earth Monster, we do this to ourselves. This weight that Dan carries is the very high expectation that he has for himself. Did you think of yourself as unhappy? No. It was more like growing up, you didn't have a lot of time to self-reflect. No, I was just doing whatever I needed to do. I think growing up, there was no thought of, oh, maybe Dan could be an artist or maybe he could do something more on the creative side. I don't think it was ever in the mindset for my family in terms of expectations. It wasn't an expectation. It wasn't a part of his story. Dan's delusion was kept extremely narrow in this way. He didn't seek out specific interests because it was never a part of the conversation. The language that he learned to speak fluently, the one that guided his actions, was focused almost entirely on work. I think it was mostly just like, get through the day, you know, have like your one hour in the evening of just playing on your computer, watching this show, and then worry about some other stuff when I have the ability and time to, to worry about it. And in terms of when I had free time, it was, you know, just a regular hanging out with friends, watching TV. There was nothing in particular that I was interested in. It was more like I, I got to do what I got to do. And then it's I'll dial it back to just leisure and relaxation for as much as I can before I jump into that again. Pay attention to the language. There is so much specificity in the words that we choose. Leisure means free time. Time when you are not working. Time when you can do whatever you want. That's actually what it says in the dictionary. Use free time for enjoyment. Opportunity afforded by free time to do something. The word that's standing out to me is free. Reminds me of another delusion we explored this season. And it doesn't have to be exciting leisure time too, right? It could be watching TV, uh, going for a walk with a friend, playing video games. As long as it's not something that I have to do, then that's classified as leisure time and that's the, the reward for doing the stuff that I had to do. Dan, when you were growing up, did your mom cook? Yeah. Was she a good cook? Yes. What was your favorite dinner that she made? Ooh. She would make like these stuffed bell peppers. She stuff them with uh, rice and ground beef and some herbs and whatnot and tomato sauce. That was awesome. 
tomato sauce over the top? Well, it would actually be cooked in tomato sauce and tomato sauce over the top, but it, would, it wouldn't be like deep where it would like cover the bell peppers. It would be like maybe like an inch deep. Mm-hmm. And it would kind of be sweet. I don't know how she would make it on the sweeter side. Was the pepper sweet? It wasn't the pepper. I think she may, may have put like a pomegranate molasses or something in there in the sauce. Mm. Um, it was really good. That sounds good. What color were the peppers? Usually it would be like the red ones. But you know, on the occasion that she would use the green ones that were a little bit le- more bitter, mm-hmm. um, those, you're right, would not be as good as the red ones. So I, I feel like the sweetness was a big component there. Do you see how important the specifics are to the vision? Finally, a treat to indulge in after a long day of studying. I don't think we would eat dinner together, no. We would have Friday night dinners, like Shabbat dinner, which is a big for us Jews, but on uh, just a regular like evening, I actually can't recall a time where we had dinner together. We would just go grab the food if she had cooked something great. If not, we'd get like a deli meat or make like a sandwich or whatever and just eat independently. We would eat it in our own rooms. There wouldn't be that, that quality time there. We wouldn't do that. This wasn't time to talk or engage. Alone in his room with a delicious plate of stuffed peppers and tomato sauce and pomegranate molasses, he would breathe a sigh of relief, leaving hours of studying behind him. This time was intended for leisure, and so he would lounge. I had a TV in the room, I had a computer in the room. I could either be watching TV, I don't know, maybe watching something on the internet. How similar is that scene of you eating dinner in your room with the TV and the computer? How similar is that to how you might eat dinner now? Oh, it's it's nearly identical. <laughs> it's so weird that you phrase it that way, and it makes me kind of see how there's a lot of things that happened in my childhood that I kind of carried with me that I didn't even realize. Right. And I feel like I kind of still I kind of still do that, where I do what I need to do in terms of my adult life and and work and paying bills and and doing what I need to do, and then I kind of take a step back and vegetate. I I'm just trying to get an understanding mm-hmm. of this. It sounds like you felt kind of alone on your mm-hmm. path right? Everyone was like independent, but you knew that you wanted to be enough. That's a good way of putting it because that's true. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had that sense of that I needed to accomplish something. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Who can't relate to that delusion? You just want to be enough, whatever that means. And I'll speak for myself. It has been in the times when the aim of my vision has looked the most muddled or general, that I have held myself to an even higher standard to work towards it. Because I figure if I can't picture exactly where I want to land, then at least I can compensate with a disproportionate amount of effort to make sure that I'm pushing in the right direction. Forward. But then, of course, all work and no play burns me the fuck out. Not saying that's what Dan's doing. I'm talking to myself. It seems like it's all about that leisure time. That's true. That's something I, I carried with me since since childhood, right? I do what I have to do, and then it's leisure time. I love that definition of it. It's like something that you're obligated to do versus something that you're not obligated to do. Yeah. And yeah. it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely how I would define it. Is it because of the difference in the pressure that you put on yourself in those two scenarios? Yes. So I do realize that through feedback that I've gotten over the years, that there's a lot of self-imposed expectations, right? So I carried whatever I had in childhood into my career. For as murky or as general or as disproportionate as his goal may have seemed, he dreamed it, he lived it, he achieved it. You work in finance now. Correct. What is your title in finance? Finance manager, and I do corporate financial planning. This is the something that he did with his life. 
He's a finance manager for a big conglomerate. Okay, I added the conglomerate. It's a big corporate company, but I think we'd prefer to keep Dan semi-anonymous here. He's working in the top of his field, which means he has found the financial independence he was looking for as well. And he's lived up to his potential, at least in this one area of his work. And he got a good education along the way. My undergraduate degree, it was a combined program for math and econ. I have a master's degree in economics and another master's degree in economic development. It's kind of weird because the actual name is economic development programming, but it's basically just economic development. As if I actually understood anything he just said. <laughs> the part that resonates so fully with me is the unnecessary pressure that we put on ourselves, that I put on myself. And in my case, it has sometimes been that unnecessary pressure to succeed that has actually sabotaged my actions and caused me to fail. Sometimes it's not even necessary, right? If I have, let's say, a deadline that's 9 a.m., I wouldn't be comfortable logging in at 8 a.m. and doing it, right? I would wake up at 6 and log in super early or work late the previous day, even though I know that there's, there's really no chance that I would miss the deadline if I started at 8 a.m. Or there's small chance if my computer stopped working or whatnot, right? right? So to, uh, to an extent, it is self-imposed. Um, to an extent. <laughs> so maybe he's not fully in touch with this, or maybe I'm overreaching, but this registers so true to me. I think right now I just made the realization that that self-imposed accomplishments or expectations were something that I carried through school and now at work. And um, to be honest with you though, the, the thing is I don't, it's hard for me to balance, if I'm trying to think about this rationally, whether it's a good thing or not, right? Because it is contributing to my quality of life in the sense that, you know, my accomplishments, my financial compensation or whatnot, but it's also taking away from my quality of life in, in terms of stress and, and everything that that carries with it. But it is interesting to me because I didn't realize that that actually stayed with me from childhood. I never made that connection of that's how I've always been. I'm just imposing it on a different set of criteria and different environment, but it's the same thing. Dan has made certain to live up to his potential professionally. And I don't mean to take anything away from him. What's inspiring to me about Dan's story is how powerful he's proven that he is. That although he never hammered out a lot of the specifics of his necessary delusion from the beginning, he was able to achieve his goal at a very high level. But I think it's also revealed this other potential, this other opportunity he still has waiting for him, the product of his lopsided delusion. I think what gets me excited um, is anything that takes me out of like my normal routine, which now is, since I don't really do a lot of traveling because of COVID, now it's it's actually like going back to dating because I realize that I get excited when I'm about to meet someone new because there's that potential for change. It's going to change my routine today, but also, you know, the 1% chance that it's actually going to evolve and my life could go on a slightly different trajectory. I think I really, those events are the ones that get me excited. So what is his necessary delusion today? I don't even know why I picture my perfect life in this way, but I just do. Maybe it's like the product of mine coming from like a single parent home or um, not having like a very stable environment growing up. But in my head, what I think would make me happy, right, is to have a home with a good guy and really everything that comes along with it for just like normal life, right? So. Going to work in the morning, having dinner with friends, having family over, maybe layering in a bunch of kids later on, way later on. <laughs> but really, that's what I want my life to be in, in 10 years. I, that's how I want my life to be now, honestly. Do you tell yourself a story like that? 
How specifically have you dared to unpack that delusion? I go back and forth on kids. Like I realize they're a big commitment. Some of them don't have the best personalities, but that's the parents' fault mostly. But I do feel like that's part of the human experience. And I do believe that we live once and, and life is just a collection of experiences. And that's one of the ones that I want to have. I think my goal in life really is I want to be able to look at my life when I'm on my deathbed and, and really consider it a, a life well lived. Delusion! I couldn't help myself. What do you consider a life well lived? That definition sounds like it could be squishy and you could stretch it and shape it and flip it around to make yourself believe that any of your time here has been worthwhile. But maybe not. Maybe when we're right there, on the bed, and death is breathing in our faces, maybe all of the delusions just drop away. And we'll imagine the five decades we spent staring at our smartphones. Sorry, too dark. It's funny, I feel like most people have a hard time describing their current necessary delusions, but Dan went right at his. He wants a family. I feel like I've accomplished so many things already that I wanted to accomplish. And unfortunately, the part that's remaining is not up to me. And that is scary. It, it doesn't help me. The thing is, people can think, oh, well, it's not up to you. Just like let it happen. Like, don't worry about it. I can't not worry about it, but I also know it's not up to me, right? Like finding a good guy, finding someone who, you know, loves me as much as I love them, finding someone who's willing to settle down, having that life trajectory, that's not up to me, right? I could be on the dating apps, I could go with the best intentions to all the dates and be careful with my words and do my best, but that's as far as, as I could go with this, right? So th the remaining portion of my life is really up in the air and there's really not much I could do about it. But all of life is up in the air. Control is a huge delusion. And yet, for some reason, this particular area of finding a partner feels uniquely out of control. You make me wonder what the difference is between finding the man of your dreams and finding the job of your dreams. Like, why, why do you have more control over the job than you do of the guy? It's a good question. I feel like maybe I am better at representing myself professionally than I am in a, a romantic setting. But it's so difficult for me to understand why. Right? Can I pose something? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's easier for you to define yourself in a professional setting than it is in a personal or romantic setting. It could be it. <laughs> well, he doesn't sound convinced. I definitely don't have a great definition of like a romantic setting, right? For, I grew up not seeing it in at home. Plus, I don't have the you know normative heterosexual kind of image that you see on TV, right? And so it is kind of maybe harder for me to imagine my role in it. But I do put a lot of effort trying to get there, right? And and I do try to seek feedback. And I I do have a lot of friends that you know we started out dating, and I I ask like what what did I do wrong, like what what happened and and i can't get that feedback people are telling me just like at work like you're doing great it's just not not the right time but at work i actually get ahead but dating i don't <laughs> hmm. and so i do seek that feedback like i'm trying to figure out what i'm doing wrong and all that i hear is oh it's just tough dating is tough just keep doing it you will find the right person like well, i don't know i've been trying for quite a bit of time dating is tough life is tough and i certainly don't have any answers Believe it or not, I try to stay away from giving advice on here. I'm no doctor. I'm just a really aggressive patient. But I will speak to my own experience when life felt particularly out of control and nothing seemed to be working. Because I think what Dan is saying is super relatable. I surrendered. I had gotten so caught up believing that I knew so much about myself, 
so much about my own life and what I was looking for. I thought I knew way too much. Huge delusion. I kept seeking out these partners that were tailored to who I believed I was, what I believed I needed based on relationships I'd been in before. Partners that would let me get away with my bullshit. I didn't have a checklist necessarily, but that's only because I prefer to keep my ideas scribbled out on a giant floor-to-ceiling dry erase board. The point is, I wasn't actually open to having a new experience. I was burying myself in work, and I was lying to myself about its purpose. I considered my disproportionate work-life imbalance to be the sacrifice I was making for my future. I was trying so hard to keep control over the unknown. And what I eventually realized was that I was operating from a place of fear. I was terrified of choosing the wrong person, terrified to step off my path, of fucking up this image of my life that I felt so connected to. For me, I had to disrupt my sense of control. I had to surrender, dare to step off my path, and rewrite my fear with curiosity. If you were to have children, mm -hmm. can you talk about three core values that you would feel like it was important to pass on to your children? The value of hard work. Shocking. It just ties to so many things, right? like respect. If you're at a restaurant or you're taking a flight, I think it's important to recognize that the people that are serving you are working hard and, and they're trying to make a living. And if you understand the value of hard work, you also understand the idea of respecting other people. And so I think that does go a long way. Um, I think confidence is important. And I think that's something that's been an area of development for me for a long time and something that I'm consciously working on. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I would teach my kids. I don't know if I could limit the third one into like something that is um, kind of like a term, but what I do want to make sure that my kids know is um, that everyone around them goes through a human experience, right? And the idea of everyone's human, everyone's going through challenges, and just to understand that and understand that if you have an interaction with someone, don't come in judging, you know, their situation, their intentions, whatever. Just try to understand that's a person that's gone through so many experiences and that's just trying to get through their life, you know, and their challenges. And that's something that I hope that somehow I would be able to instill in my kids that mindset and that understanding. There is a word for that. Empathy. You're right. You're right. And it's so funny because I wonder if I got like a little bit of like, I hope that I'm able to instill that in my children. When to me, I feel like you would obviously instill that in your children because you model it so strongly. Thank you. I want to thank Dan for his story today and for reminding me of that underlying, unbearable, unnecessary pressure that I put on myself every day. That's a big takeaway. As well as the power of specificity and the importance of telling myself a specific story. Because as far as I can tell, my life force is going to live out this delusion, whatever I decide that is. So I might as well get as specific as possible about what I love, about what I'm looking for, and in the language that I'm using to speak it into existence. Because the greatest outlet that I have to exercise my own creativity is when I'm telling myself this story. Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, you can write us a review on Apple iTunes. That's the Purple Podcast app. Please rate us with five stars. You can hit us up with 143 on Venmo at Your Necessary Delusion or call us at our voicemail, 323-540-4540. 
with any tips on how you practice your confidence, delusional tidbits, feedback, or contact information to set up a call of your own. You can also email us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com. Don't forget to come back next week for more epic everyday stories of success and redemption. Until next time.